Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border Goes to Cuba, Part 1. Speaking to you from under a palm tree is Annette, the sound producer of the show. Occasionally I get the chance to travel a bit and see the world. In the end of 2018 I went furthest away from home I'd ever been, in terms of distance and political system. After my trip I started writing down my thoughts in the airport of Havana and uh, it quickly became quite a long story. I had a lot of preconceptions and delusions about the place that are now changed. There were things that surprised me, things that impressed me, things that angered me, and things that broke my heart. So we decided to share what I learned with you in a two-part series. In this episode, I will tell you about my first impressions of Cuba, socialist luxury, architecture, accommodation in Havana, Cuban money, and cigars. Nevertheless, I have to warn you that I saw Cuba through the eyes of a tourist, Probably because I don't speak a word of Spanish and look like a sunburned tourist at all times, this time I did not really succeed in blending in with the locals. Still, I learned some interesting stuff, and I uh, hope that you will like to learn as well. But, as you should everything in life, take it with a grain of salt. So, I came to Cuba semi-prepared. I watched the Cuba Libre story on Netflix and read some Wikipedia as well as a tourist guide about Havana. Other than that, I had my dad, born and raised in the USSR, to rely on for information. My dad had planned a trip so that we had a little buffer zone to prepare ourselves before being thrown into the deep end, that is, into the heart of Havana. A couple of days after Christmas, we arrived to one of the islands of Cuba called Cayo Coco, where we were to stay for two days in an all-inclusive resort. It goes without saying that life in an all-inclusive resort is a world apart from Cuba, or any other country for that matter. But already there, I started to get a taste of what was to come. The first impressions were made at the airport. Never before in my life I had to pass a security check of belongings and a metal detector to get out of an airport. I thought it was amusing. My dad, who is a commercial producer, always travels with a USB microphone. A Cuban national force lady dressed in an official uniform that consisted of a shirt and a very short miniskirt did not want to let him pass. My dad tried to explain that the round object the lady was eyeing suspiciously was a USB microphone that he uses for work, because he is, as he said, artiste locutor. 
The lady then called another uniformed colleague who wanted to know, well, what was the wire used for then? <laughs> I wish I could have filmed this exchange. However, the guards made me understand quickly that all kind of filming of police officers was strictly forbidden. I obeyed. The airport was tiny and the color scheme bore resemblance to old hospitals in my hometown in Latvia. The beach resort, on the other hand, looked like a piece of paradise. The sea was perfect, blue and inviting, and the style of architecture of the hotel I could describe best as socialist chic. Very bleak, functional buildings that were not ugly but definitely had a bit of that choppy spaceship feel to it. It was very humid and windy. People did not understand our English very well, which landed us in some funny if they weren't tragic situations. One of such happened on the day we decided to go to the Flamingo Beach to see thousands of the famous pink birds about whom we'd read on TripAdvisor. In the hotel reception, we learned that there's a bus to this beach that would cost us five euros less than the taxi. However, after 40 minutes on the bus, we learned that first they had understood we want to go to the Flamenco Resort, which is another all-inclusive hotel, and second, it's not even flamingo season. After getting off the bus, we had to take a taxi back to our hotel. My dad was furious at this waste of money, but at least we learned that there's not much else to see on the island. Hotels, hotels, and only hotels. Another big change from Europe, which I'm sure everyone could have predicted but me, was the lack of available internet in Cuba. I sort of believed it, but not completely, until I actually had to pay one euro to get an hour of internet access. Of course, downloading and editing the files for the podcast was not possible. And it only got worse from there. To this day, I'm still not sure how the hell does internet function on Cuba? Different people told me different things, but I can assure you, people like me who are used to being connected to the internet at all times will suffer. In the evenings at our hotel there were shows, which were really, really well prepared and truly entertaining. I made friends with some Quebecois people, got very drunk on free cocktails with them, and decided to discover a little bit of the Cuban hotel nightlife. The dancers who had been in the show earlier joined us, and there was a lot of booty shaking and a lot of dropping it low. Not much salsa. Those who stayed up late enough could accidentally become witnesses to different kinds of shows in dark corners of the resort or, in some cases, just in front of the pool for everyone to see. <laughs> Must be the hot weather. All in all, I had a very fun time at Cayo Coco. Two days later, we took an hour-long flight to Havana. I was again taken aback by the architecture of the airport. It looked like what supermarkets used to look like in Soviet Latvia. It was almost an uncanny resemblance. Then we took a taxi to Havana city center. During the ride, I saw that there were absolutely no commercials on the sides of the road. That's not to say that there were no billboards, of which there were a few, all bearing revolutionary slogans and the faces of Fidel and company. Unidad e compromiso. Viva la revolución. Excited and a bit intimidated, I wondered what type of place had I arrived to. Soon enough, we reached our destination. You have two options as a tourist in Cuba in terms of accommodation. Hotels or Casa Particular, people who rent out their rooms or whole apartments to tourists. Right away, my first misconception about Cuba that nobody owns anything was broken. Turns out that people in Cuba can not only own their own flats or houses, but can even own more than one. 
our casa particular, which we rented through Airbnb and which promised Wi-Fi, exclamation point, was located right next to the Capitolio building, which is the former parliament building of Havana. We were greeted by our host, who right away wanted our passports. He started taking pictures of our passports and explained that he had to send some forms to the government. The reason was to let the authorities know where we were, and as he put our details in his phone, photos of us popped up. These were taken two days ago at the airport of Keo Coco, where we got documented sweaty and tired from our super long flight. Not very flattering, and the whole thing felt so strange. But then our host explained some things to us about Cuba. He said it's very safe. The government has installed biometric security cameras on every corner so that they know exactly where who is at what time. He mentioned that if there's no sign of us for more than 24 hours on one of these cameras, the police will launch an investigation to find us. He also gave us some advice about Havana and about how not to get scammed. He said that the chances of petty theft or being robbed by force are virtually none. However, scamming tourists is very common in Cuba and especially in Havana. I had read this also in my Havana tourist guidebook. Our host said especially to beware of people who try to sell you cigars at a better price than in the stores. Those are almost always bad quality, sometimes even with banana and not tobacco leaves inside. Right after, he told us that he has the best cigars in Havana that he obtained because he knows people here and there and that he will sell to us for a better price than in the stores. I was uh, confused. Later, he gave us all a welcome drink of rum and one of his cigars. I mean, I have to say that his cigars were indeed great, but more on cigars later. He also explained to us how money works in Cuba. There are two currencies in active circulation. The first one, CUC, which stands for Cuban Convertible Peso, or KUK, as the locals call it, is the currency used by tourists. One CUC equals one US dollar, which is roughly one euro. The other currency is called CUP, or Moneda Nacional, which stands for Cuban National Peso. This is the currency used by locals. One CUC equals 24 CUP. Tourists are not supposed to have access to national pesos, because this is how Cuba ensures tourists pay inflated prices compared to the locals. The biggest difference can be felt when you try to pay for entry to various national parks, museums and historic sites. While the Cubans have to pay, let's say, 4 CUP, 4 CUC for tourists ends up being a lot more. This required some getting used to at first, but luckily in shops you get prices in both currencies, so we did not have any hardships in terms of calculation. Our euros were exchanged at a very small commission, which is not the case for those who want to exchange US dollars. They will feel the effects of the embargo because exchanging dollars will cost 10% extra. Pretty rough. We were also told to be careful about scams that could arise from paying in CUC. You see, the locals will give unsuspecting tourists their change back in CUP instead of CUC, which could result in some unpleasant situations, given that the difference of value is almost 25 times. The only time this happened to us is when we were given back 5 CUP less than was needed for water, but we let that one slide. Before I tell you about my impressions of Havana, a quick commercial break. Oh hi, welcome to the middle segment, recorded also by me. As always, a big 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 thank you to all of our Patreons for supporting the show, you are amazing and we love you. 
And if you would like to become one, information about how to do so is available in the description of this podcast. If you want to know more about the show, you can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to connect with us directly, send us a message or join our Discord server, where the discussion is always going. Okay, that's it from me now, and I'll see you again in one second. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back. I don't really know how best to describe Havana in terms of senses. If I close my eyes and try to remember so that I could tell you this, the houses look beautiful but like they've worked for so hard and been mistreated for so long that now they are only a reflection of the beauty of their youth. It is evident by the faded colors that hint at their former brightness. Some houses are repainted and renovated and shed a hopeful light on the city. Other houses are just slums. Some hotels are also redone and look truly impressive, while others... Others look like they are survivors of an apocalypsis. Walking down the streets of Havana, I got the feeling that the city tries to put on a brave face for wide-eyed tourists, but the second they look away, it sheds tired tears. My dad was always saying, look what socialism did to the city. I still found it charming, though, but that's just me. I wasn't there at the time to make a good comparison of before and after. In terms of smell, Havana smells mostly like gasoline and smoke. Sometimes it's cigar smoke, but more often it's produced by old car engines that guzzle up close to 25 liters per 100 kilometers. These engines belong to one of the most beautiful ornaments of Havana. The colorful, classic American cars that stroll around the city streets. They, along with the state of buildings and technology, give the impression that time in Cuba stopped after the revolution of 59. At first we could not stop ourselves from taking pictures of these cars, so beautiful they were. And after the initial amazement started to wear off, I discovered their economic function. Turns out that these old American and sometimes also Soviet cars function almost exclusively as taxis. And 99.9% of them are privately owned. Yes, yes, private business in socialist Cuba. Tourists can rent them for about 60 CUC per hour, which is three times the monthly salary of a university calculus professor. The drivers do have to pay a thousand CUC a month to the government for their license, but it's still one of the most top profitable businesses in Cuba. But as they do with entry fees, the tourists also pay more for taxis than the Cubans do. Mostly to move around Havana, we used what I can best describe as egg taxis, which are little motorbikes with a ball-type carriage behind the driver, where up to three people can squeeze in. 
In Havana, we always paid between 10 and 15 CUC per ride. At the same time, the retro cars apparently also function as surprisingly cheap collective taxis. I was wondering why there were so many Cubans who were signaling these cars on the sides of the streets and even highways. I later read that you can get to Vinales from Havana, which is a 180 kilometer or 110 mile drive, for only 20 pesos in these retro cars. I just don't understand how prices work in Cuba. I was lucky that I was not on my own. But what I can say is that if the Cubans give you a price, you can almost always get it slightly reduced if you ask. We did not have to arrange our own transportation for further away cities. We went on three excursions with a Russian-speaking Cuban lady, and so we got to ride around in three retro cars. A 1952 Chevrolet Deluxe, a convertible 1951 Ford of some model that I don't know, and a 1957 Ford Fireline, I believe. I'm not really a car specialist or enthusiast, but I still love the experience. Nevertheless, the cars were amazing. The Cubans are really working on their cars. It's evident first by the way they drive, with boosts of power that throw you back in your seat like it's a roller coaster. And they were all renovated and kept shiny at all times. And they were even equipped with air conditioning and really good sound systems, so we were comfortably swaying to the beats of salsa music as we were discovering Cuba. I loved seeing people taking care of old things like that instead of throwing them out and buying new cars. Even if the impact of these huge engines on the environment could be pretty bad. An interesting thing to note are the laws about buying and selling these old retro cars. Not only is it absolutely illegal to sell a car to anyone who is not Cuban, much less sell it to another country, but it is equally forbidden to even take the cars out for a little while. Our guide told us that some years ago Cubans were invited to participate in an old car showing in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken, all expenses paid and everything, but the Cuban government said nope, out of fear that these cars could not come back. You can safely say, as ironic as it seems, that old American cars have become, in a way, one of the symbols and national prides of Cuba. Another national treasure, of course, are the famous Cuban cigars. Now, I have to say that I was a total cigar baby when I came to Cuba. I had never tried one before, and I had only seen cigars being smoked in movies. Therefore, everything I'm about to tell you, again, please take with a grain of salt. So, as I mentioned before, we were wary of scams from the beginning. But at the same time, we were also skeptical of the presumed superior quality of cigars in shops because I'm a believer in artisanal value. Here's what I learned about cigars in Cuba. Cuba has perfect climate conditions for growing tobacco. In the process of making one cigar, five different tobacco leaves are used and each of them has its own function. One rules the strength of the cigar, another is responsible for the combustion the third for the aroma, the fourth holds the cigar together, and the fifth one is the beautiful outer skin of the cigar. If you look at the tobacco plant, the leaves on the top get the most sun. They are the most valuable ones because they have the highest percentage of nicotine, which will determine the strength of the cigar. The leaves in the middle have a milder taste and aroma, but the leaves on the bottom are least valuable but great for combustion. Finally, the outer skins are grown in different conditions, sheltered from the sun, to ensure that they are soft and look flawless. An interesting fact is that when rolling cigars, they remove the middle vein of the tobacco leaf, which contains 70% of nicotine. That vein, along with what's left over from the cigar-making process, is then shipped to cigarette factories, as our guide said, to produce addiction. You have probably already heard about the different brands of cigars in Cuba. 
Each brand produces different sizes and strengths of cigar. The most famous ones are the Coibas. These are the cigars that Fidel Castro smoked. And they are also considered the best by cigar connoisseurs who come to Cuba for cigar festivals and such. These go for at least 12-15 bucks per cigar and even higher for some longer ones. Other brands exist, such as Monte Cristo and Romeo and Juliet, the so-called ladies' cigar because they are light and aromatic, Partagas and many others. All of these brands are owned and produced by the government. In Cuba, the farmers who grow the tobacco, once they harvest and dry the leaves, must sell 90% of their produce to the government factories. The 10% that remains they can use themselves or sell to tourists. We visited one such farm in Vinales, saw the cigar-making process and bought some cigars from them, considerably cheaper than in the shops. Another way to get cigars is if you know somebody who works in a factory. First, each worker, apart from having the right to smoke all day while working, gets five cigars every day for free. This is to make sure that they don't steal, however, I doubt this policy is very effective. Because second, if you have good friends at Coiba, for example, it is possible to acquire boxes of Coiba cigars that for one reason or another did not pass the quality check. One may be too long, another too short, but all in all, these are brand cigars that go for 40 to 700 euros per box. I can't say much more at the moment, but there may or may not be an update on their quality later. Finally, there are also people who walk around the streets and practice guerrilla marketing. I cannot tell you the number of times that we heard Sir, Cigar, Coiba per day. <laughs> At some point it became ridiculous. We still decided not to risk it as we were warned about the banana leaves and tourist scams, but I do have one cigar in my humidor that my dad bought from a very nice looking old man for one CUC on the side of the street. Once I'll smoke it I'll let you know if it was any good. If you're wondering about how to pick a good cigar, I have also received some tips that I can share with you. You have to use your five senses. First, the visual. The cigar has to be smooth, even colored and look nice. Second, the touch. It has to be soft yet firm and above all, even. Because if there are bulges, it means that at that place the person rolled it too tightly and it will be hard to smoke. The third, the smell. To be honest, I have trouble differentiating between good and bad smells. To me, all cigars smell nice, but the best ones smell a little bit like rum. Fourth, the sound. Hold the cigar close to your ear and roll it between your index finger and thumb. A light, soft crinkling sound means that your cigar is not too wet and is ready to smoke. And finally, the taste, which can only be determined once you smoke your cigar. Sometimes before smoking, Cubans dip the tips of their cigar into rum or another beverage. Che Guevara, who suffered from asthma, used to dip his in honey to, as he said, protect his throat. I tried his method and found it to be a great idea. For those of you who are interested in taking up this hobby, it's good to know also that the law allows you to bring 50 cigars worth of tobacco out of Cuba. Unfortunately, it is illegal to bring any Cuban cigars into the USA. So, friends, we have arrived to the end of part one. I hope you have enjoyed listening to my story. Next time we'll talk a little bit more about politics, which is probably what interests you guys the most, but also some food and art. What a wonderful combination, no? Remember that you can follow the Eastern Border on Facebook. That way you can keep up to date with what's happening with the show and its crew. I also shared my Havana album on there, so if you want a visual to go with the stories, that is available to you on our Facebook page. 
But for now, до свидания, товарищ. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness awaits. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.